this is Adam Limpy, writer, editor, publisher of RegrettableSincerity.com, and this is a podcast with Amy Ryan, who was nominated for Gone Baby Gone, and this particular podcast is about Jack Goes Boating, which was the directorial debut of Phil Hoffman. Now, there were seven reporters in the room, including myself, and the interview was about 18 minutes, so we didn't get a lot of questions in, but everything moved a lot quicker because we knew we didn't have a lot of time. You'll learn some stuff about Jack Goes Boating, which is a small, awkward stage adaptation with a lot of awkward humor and even more awkward people. Uh, It's currently playing in limited release. It opens a little wider on Friday. And while I didn't ask any questions that might be useful to your understanding of the film, uh, some of my colleagues did, I think. person job. She's in the basement of a funeral home. <laughs> lives alone. Obviously doesn't have much luck at love. But then just that her language was so bold and uh, that she didn't keep that side in. I mean, clearly she liked him. She was exposing more of herself. But that took me a while to make kind of a peace with that. And really it was, it was Bob's way of just giving me permission to make it my own reasoning. And I, I just came to the idea of, well, it is who she is. Like sometimes, I, it's, you, you want to put these people in a box so we can spec. Oh, okay, I got it. I know this person. And, but and when you asked Bob, and he sort of spurned your questions, you found that frustrating or liberating as an actor? I mean, a, a little both, because you know you kind of you want the answer. It's like sure. you know the test. It's, it's it's when you're a kid and you ask your parent how to spell something, and they say, "Well, look it up in the dictionary." It's like, okay, <laughs> you know, well, I'll put the work in, of course. But um, no, it was, I, and then I, I, I was very touched because I knew, obviously this had happened on stage, they, they knew it had worked before, but he was really giving me the freedom to figure it out on my own, and okay. the trust. Sure. You know, he wasn't getting nervous that, I worked with other people in the past, like, well, what do you mean you don't understand? Well, it's this, this, and this, and he just he gave me the time to figure it out. The character, do you know people like that, and is there any part of that character that you feel that you're familiar with, like within yourself? I do remember a girl I went to grammar school with. I don't know what her family life story was, but I remember every time she got called on by our teacher, she would just go ten shades of red. It was just so socially awkward. I remember thinking of her a lot. Uh, I haven't thought of her since... (laughs) Fourth grade, but uh, yeah, right now, without <laughs> <That> chance. <laughs> Jane Smith, <laughs> yeah. but um, the Jane yeah. Smith. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I I have seen people. I do have a couple of friends here and there that I wouldn't say they're like Connie throughout, but you know, moments where their mouth is moving faster than their mind. You know, certainly that first date. I think she thought, oh well, let me. You know, this is what you do. You get to know people. You tell stories, and she probably thought it was a great story, but didn't realize <laughs> the weight of it, uh, you know, that it's, it probably wasn't going so well. It's not the best dinner conversation. But, um, 
I, I know of friends who've been in that situation, and, and I have too, but I wouldn't say to the severity that she's been through it. The writer of the piece, he uh, actually started as an actor, and one of his first films was uh, that he was a star. Star was uh, Parasite, which is like an early '80s horror movie. That was in, <laughs> I had no idea. That was in, <laughs> that, was in, that was in 3D, and I had wondered if Jack Goes Boating was ever intended to be in 3D. <laughs> no, I mean, because that casserole know. that would have if oh, thrown yeah, out yeah. of the screen. Yeah, the oars coming yeah. at you. That would have been amazing, but no, I never. This is all news to me. <laughs> I want to know what Google page you got that on. <laughs> it's amazing. As an actor, what was it like working with Philip Seymour Hoffman versus other directors like Ben Affleck, etc., that you work with? Well, I worked with Phil once before in Capote, and but certainly the, it's a very different experience to be opposite an actor as they're also directing you. It just takes, I think, maybe a different discipline or a different focus kind of to have respect for when the close-up is now on him and really be there for him because he's thinking of 12 things at once. But we had the advantage of rehearsing it like a play and a lot of that was mapped out before. So there was the ability to really keep kind of a sharp focus. So, uh, but yeah, there were times I wasn't quite sure if Phil was in his headspace of just, you know, as an actor, right before you go, you start reviewing the scene in your head. It's like a muscle, like, a, do I know my lines, or what am I thinking of, where have I come from? And I wasn't quite sure if that's what he was thinking of, or if he was going over, wondering if the lights were right, or, you know, whatever else the director may have to uh, consider. So I, I just waited for, you know, like, it wasn't as if he's walking around this character, you know, but uh, I, I waited for an invite in, you know, and he's, oh, yeah, I want to tell you something. Oh, okay, that's the director talking. Okay, I can, you know, go through it that way. And Ben obviously wasn't in the movie with me, but there's a real compassion I have found being directed by actors. Not that other directors weren't compassionate, but there is a real camaraderie about knowing what it's like to go to darker places or being vulnerable or being just private in public or the feeling of, like, here goes nothing, I may fail, I may fail miserably, you know. They know what that takes. And uh, in the case with Phil, because he's on screen with us, he's, he wasn't going to push us to a place that he wasn't about to go in the next take himself, you know. So it was, there's, a, there's an incredible trust and bond. What sort of headspace did you need to get into to portray the character? I mean, I, I remember being, and, and I've known John and Daphne and Phil, so it wasn't like being a new kid in school. There's friendships and years of knowing each other in New York, but... I do remember keeping very shy to myself, and I, I was also probably exhausted. I was pregnant at the time filming this, so I, I know I was conserving as much as possible my energy, literally putting my feet up when I could. And I think I also was protective because just the nature of protecting <laughs> this baby. So uh, it was. I, I think. I think that's. I think I kept to myself a lot. You know, even as after when we weren't filming, just walking down the streets of New York, I found myself, you know, looking out into dangers about. <laughs> you provided a lot of comic relief in rather awkward scenes. Was that intentional, or do you like playing that type of character that provides that? It's always nice when there's some humor to diffuse situations, but, you know, in this case, it's they don't know they're being funny, you know. I mean, it's deadly serious. It's, I mean, we were laughing at her expense. <laughs> but yeah, I'm aware, I'm aware there's humor there. As, as I read a script, I, I, I can recognize, yeah, this is awkward and funny. And, and, and certainly we, we talked about that in rehearsal where 
where those moments would be. For me, the film was really powerful in the sense there's a lot of it's like stillness and like a lot of classic sort of sort of scenes that really were quite poignant. Was that like a premeditated thing from from Philip Seymour Hoffman, or was that just something that you? Yes. No, it was there, and we had found those moments as well in rehearsal, and and I think just the, this film depicting people who I think are very much real New Yorkers, or some some of the New Yorkers. There's obviously many real New Yorkers, but um, and so to stay true to what that that moment is, or those moments, and how awkward it is finding love, or a deteriorating relationship like Clyde and Lucy have, and it's not wrapped up neatly. I think those pauses are breathtaking and nerve-wracking, and um, but so true to life. It's not wrapped up neatly in a bow with a montage and you know yeah, music. Or, <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah, like yeah, like. So um, it just it just lent itself right. to the storytelling. Amy, you've displayed an uncanny capacity to disappear into your characters. What do you ascribe that capacity to? And conversely, how do you deal with keeping your core persona demarcated from some of the characters you've portrayed? Well, I've always liked, even when I've done plays, I found I would get pretty self-conscious if I could look in the mirror and see myself, or you know, see. Not not that I would, someone who's always had gray hair, so I was happy to throw it <laughs> under a wig or change its color, or, you know. So, um, but I always. I would be pulled out if I saw myself. I'd be like, ah, you're acting. <laughs> you're acting, you know. And for me, too, I think, in a weird way, I think it's about being shy. I, it's much easier to go and go hide behind someone else and say, this is their story. This has nothing to do with me. I'm just, I'm the medium here. I'm, I'm just the, the translator as such. So, And then it's just, you know, there's also the part of, the, the kid in me that it's it's like love playing dress up, love entertaining and and uh, tricking people in that sense, you know, or trying to, you know, and then certainly challenges like things like Gone Baby Gone. That that particular challenge, Ben had said, you know, we're hiring a lot of non-actors. It's going to be up to you guys to really match them, so you don't, it doesn't jar out that something like here are actors and here's, you know, so um, so a, ch a good challenge like that is always thrilling. You're like, okay, yeah, how do I really hide? And if that means being not as glamorous as, you know, maybe secretly we all hope <laughs> with better lighting, and so be it. I do find the truth is, is actually more beautiful. First, I want to say I was rooting against Tilda Swinton that year. <laughs> and um, hoping that you would win. But uh, I guess getting the nomination is important. It was, yeah, it was a good game changer anyway. But. <laughs> um, but there was something about the movie that um, surprised me, and I guess, I don't know if it was intentional or not, and that was about your character when she finally got together with Jack and, you know, at the end, which I thought was about to be a pretty poignant moment and what she said that she wanted him to do to her, you know, like overwhelm <laughs> her. And I was wondering, you know, how you read that and how... Where did that come from in the character? I think it comes from, you know, she's she's someone who's, I think she's battling with a lot of control, even though it's her, it, you know, she has spent so much time imagining what this would be like, that scene when she says, you know, I want it to be by the park, by the trees, <laughs> in a super space, all of these, in her world, these perfect scenarios, and she comes to this, after that 
horrific dinner party and sees that it's much more complicated and I don't want it to be like them. And I think she realizes, I'm here with you now. I have to stop trying to control the situation. I know you like me. I like you. And But she's very still strong. She says, don't hurt me. That's the key. She's not asking to be raped. Uh -huh. It's not some weird fantasy in that way. She's, but she says, overcome me. Overcome. And I think that means get rid of You know, Clyde earlier says in the movie about Connie, because, oh, yeah, Connie, she's one of those too much goes on in the head. I think she, she overthinks things. That's why she trips over her stories. And, but in this case, I think overcome, overcome me means just clear my head. Just surprise me so much that I can't control the situation. Just take, 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 take me out of my own thoughts. And mm -hmm. Take control. Yeah, you do. You do, you do it. So um, that, that's how I, I, I thought of that. And the same, it does surprise her. It's such, <laughs> it's such a... I remember at the moment, it's very scary. I didn't know when Phil was going to pick me up. I was like, okay, I'm going any minute now. And oh, it's not. And then when he did, it really was a shock. You know, of course, we rehearsed. I knew where I was going, so it was safe. And, you know, I knew he was going to be thrown back on the bed and such. But it is. It's such a, I love that moment where she just, like, laughs. It's, it, it worked for her. This is great. She was free of, uh, of all that awkwardness. And uh, it's really what she wanted. And she allows herself to have it in that moment. You produced The Missing Person. It's the first time you produced anything. What was the reason behind specifically picking that script versus any others? I mean, it's a very well-written script, but in the sense that what made that special, because your role in the film is not honestly that big. I worked with Noah on his earlier film. I really was, I was cast in this film before I was producer, so it's not that um, it was a script I was nurturing along the way. What had happened, though, was Noah kept saying, I have a script out to this actor, this actor, and this actor. Oh, they passed, they're unavailable, they're and they were all, you know, names and such who I suppose would help with financing. And I said, you know what, you really should meet this actor, Michael Shannon, and I promise you by the time this movie comes out, he will be a name. And that did happen. The movie premiered in Sundance, and that morning Mike was nominated for an Oscar. He, he was a friend of mine that I worked with along the way, and I just knew he'd be right for the part. And then someone else fell out, and I said, well, you really should get Frank Wood, and he's a great actor. And so it was just really using just my resources and to me they were natural uh, you know, meetings. I, they, it made sense for me that Noah should be working with these actors, that he'd like them and it was about halfway through filming he said, I'm going to give you a producer's credit. I said, no, I'm not a producer. I, I don't know what that is. I don't know what that is because you've already done it for the film. And I said, and I said okay, but you know, but anyway, so it's, it was more like a gift that Noah gave to me, but I, I haven't <laughs> produced anything since then. I don't. I still don't really understand what it is, but because it's something I would do for anybody, just if, if I really believed in an actor like I, I do, Mike Shannon. Um, I, it's very natural for me to say, yeah, you should know them. They'd be they'd be great for your movie. Uh, music is a very big part of the film. His reggae obsession, and it's the first thing he actually shares with you almost in the film. Is there ever has there ever been a CD, a tape, or a music thing that you've ever been inspired by, obsessed with, um, grew up with, things like that. Oh my gosh, that's what I said. <laughs> not really. I mean, <laughs> I have I have an iPod, but I haven't updated it in like three years, you know. I, I go through phases. I go through like loving rap music and dancing and things like that. But, you know, right now I have every like children's song going through my head. Because <laughs> of my daughter, but uh, so I haven't really had a chance to but this film, I know this film, I, I love this soundtrack, and um, I know uh, Evan Lurie's 
still was inspired by him, and then just the, the music supervisor in the film kept bringing him other, you know, bits of music along the way that just fit into the film beautifully. You've done a lot of TV work, too. How is um, the process different, developing a character for film versus developing a character for, you know, like a long-term series? Well, in, in film, you're going to get the script up front, and same as, like, a play, but, you know, sometimes, like, in the case of uh, The Wire or The Office, you know, four episodes later, you learn something new about the character because the writers have just come up with it. So, you know, in some ways, the actor and me wants to go, like, oh, I wish I knew that before. Maybe I would have played that earlier episode differently. But there's kind of nothing you can do about it. You just have to assume everyone takes that for granted that that was already there, that bit of information. And I'm not quite sure really how much that would change, except I would know. Uh -huh. But, uh, yeah, it's really more a little bit more fly-by-night and uh, see to your pants because you also film more pages in a day than you would on a film. I was just wondering if uh, what it's like to be a woman in, in New York, per se, got strengthened from the play version to the film because it, I think that's like, it seems like a really integral sort of facet of the film, even, you know, to the degree of the love story mm -hmm. because of the, you know, when, when your character gets, gets you know, beat up on the subway, it's like, like yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, it's, it's something I, 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 if we're still living in New York, I'm sure we will be, something I'll educate my daughter about, you yeah. know, like riding this, you know, the subway and such, but uh, uh, I fortunately have not had Connie's luck, and, you know, I feel like she is someone who's a little bit more picked on. She seems like an easy target, but I'm not sure if I'm answering your question, but, you know, I don't, I think, you know, Connie's just one one woman. I mean, you know, character Lucy in the film is obviously very different. She's a much more self-sufficient New Yorker, really the more dominant New Yorker in that relationship. So uh, I don't know she's just one of one of many. But I like to think I'm a stronger New Yorker than Connie. <laughs> that's, that's what I really want to answer. <laughs> Make sure you write that. Derived from the role of Connie. I mean, I don't know how much I'd apply to the next role. I mean, if anything, if there was something similar, I'd probably try to find some, a difference. You know, maybe not highlight that as much. But uh, I mean, I don't know. In my own life, I always think of you know, there's always a lesson to learn in a character somewhere. And I and I suppose with Connie, the lesson is you know, really face the stuff that you're most afraid of. Was it Eleanor Roosevelt who said that? Like, do do the thing that most frightens you. I think it was Joan of Arc. Or Joan of Arc, okay. <laughs> Another good strong woman. So, uh, but, you know, I think that, yeah, that you, to, to say yes, even though every pore in your body is telling you no. <laughs> this is great. Yeah, that's what I think. Okay. Thanks so much. Thank you all so much. Really appreciate it.